to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. It is Valentine's Day, dear listeners, and I have to ask, are you an Olympico? Because I'm absolutely obsessed with you. Um, it's a little Valentine's Day humour from me to all of you. That will not be the recurring theme of this pod. We're here to talk dub because obviously we've had an absolutely cracking weekend of A-League women's action and there is plenty to talk about. So we will be cracking into all of that chat very shortly. Before we begin, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, friendos, keep knocking things. I'm so sorry, listeners. Um, let's start with some you love to see it, because that is our traditional pod opener. Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? Look, there is only one thing that I loved to see from Canberra United's win over Sydney FC. One thing only because I have largely rapidly suppressed all other elements of the game. But the one thing that I do remember and which I loved so much was Laura Hughes doing a little bit of techers. It was just this, it was a beautiful moment right towards the back end of the game. She she had the ball at her feet. She turned near the sideline. She, she barreled up the line and she just did this little flick over the top of a, def- a Sydney FC defender and just kept running. And the hot, the thing that I love was that like the, because the, the stadium at McKellar Park is so close to the pitch microphones, you could hear everyone go, oh, <laughs> like that meme of like, oh, it was so mad. So yeah, Laura Hughes doing that little flick over the top and just like keep going on. I just, ugh, Laura Hughes, when I wrote this down in, in our, in our rundown, I said, Laura Hughes has cured my Sydney sky blues. And that is what it was. So Laura Hughes absolutely pulling out the techers. You love to see it. Friend of the pod, Laura Hughes. We absolutely love to see it. And we will be making that <laughs> mic drop meme because that's funny. That's, that's the good talk. Did you just write that down? Is that what you were typing? Me? Yeah. Oh, I was looking it up. Yeah, well, I've already got it. Okay. I'm ready Same to wavelength. go. Same wavelength. It's wavelength. I can't speak today. Anyway, Angela, what did you love to see this week? Uh, I love to see on my own computer screen while I was procrastinating other things, a complete circle of dub. Uh, yes! We talked about this a couple of we episodes did. ago. And actually the, the circle was completed last round. Um, I am quite nervous because um, my attention to detail is terrible. So I will read it out. Um, and then listeners, if I've got it wrong, let me know. But I feel like I feel like we're onto it, onto it here. So the circle of dub for those who don't remember or who didn't listen to that episode, it's basically when all of the teams in the dub beat one another, so it all connects. So every team has to have had at least one win for this to occur, which has been the case this season. So um, Adelaide beat Sydney who beat Victory, who beat Wellington, who beat Canberra, who beat Newcastle, who beat Western Sydney, who beat Melbourne City, who beat Perth, who beat Western, who beat Brisbane, which takes us all the way back around to Brisbane, who beat Adelaide. So circle of dub. That's magnificent. That's why we love this league. It's chaotic. You never know what's going to happen. Okay. And not just ca- competitive, I would say. Competitive. It's one of the best leagues in the world. 
so yes, we love to see Circle of Dub come into fruition. Best league in the world is a phrase you will be hearing later on in today's episode. But um, my you love to see it uh, was an Olympico in a shock to absolutely no one. So thank you to friend of the pod, Michelle Morris. You may know her from another dub podcast. Uh, she tagged me in an Olympico from the uh, Spanish league. A Madrid player called Karen Araya scored a beautiful Olympico. It was so good. And obviously it had the Spanish commentary. So we didn't have anyone saying, oh, she scored direct from a corner. We had proper goal Olympico. And it was perfection. It was absolutely incredible. Um, so the Kaz Olympico would love to see it. Stop laughing at my Spanish commentary. <laughs> That's very good. I did thank you. Great. I did a great job. I'm feeling it. Um Kaz Olympico. Viva la Kaz Olympico. Um but let's move on to the actual dub chat. There was so much to talk about from this round of dubs. So quick recap of the results. There was midweek football, which happened an eternity ago, but Newcastle beat Western United 2-0. Western United immediately bounced back and beat Melbourne City 2-1. Victory and Brisbane drew 1-1 in a very hot game in Brisbane. Canberra beat Sydney 2-1. Lol. Western (laughs) Sydney Warren (laughs) Sorry, Western Sydney Wanderers beat Wellington 1-0 and Perth put four past Newcastle. So there are some like just deeply chaotic results within the last round of dub. But we've got to start with, I think, the the Canberra United win over Sydney. Um, I tweeted it. I said, Canberra, please beat Sydney for the lols. I think that would be really funny. And then they did. And then in the rundown where I've put the results, I put lol after the result and then when I put down like what we should actually talk about specifically from this game I wrote may I say once again lol because it's just (laughs) it's just so funny and again it comes after our chat last week about how you know Sydney believes they're not respected enough they don't get enough credit and like you know teams are allowed to have off days they're allowed to lose but it's just funny it's just so funny. And this is the team that conceded 10 goals in two games in back-to-back 5-0 losses as well. So all I can offer you from this game is lol. But if either one of you would like to have a bit more of an eloquent, nuanced discussion about this game, please go for it. But uh, in conclusion, <laughs> lol. Look, okay, all right. Let's talk about this game, right? So Canberra came into this not just sort of needing a point to prove because of those massive back-to-back losses, but they also came in on a bit of a vibe, right? They'd beaten Newcastle 3-0. They seemed to have sort of gotten back into their groove a little bit and they were coming up against Sydney, a team that they had not beaten since I think 2018 or 2019. Like the stat was kind of wild. It was over a thousand days or something that they hadn't beaten this team. They were at home. It was against a big team with this big history and they had, they had, they they were riding this wave, I feel like, of energy coming into this round. Um, And Sydney, I feel like they, you know, they've been a little bit up and down over the past sort of couple of weeks and 
this is probably one of those games where they came into it thinking, oh, well, it's just Canberra, you know. They haven't beaten us in how long? Like maybe thinking that they were going to be up with a, a sort of a, a an easier fight than what it ended up being. Um, the game did also, you know, let's do a quick little shout out to the APL. The game was pushed back a couple of hours due to the heat. That's a good thing. We're glad that they're listening. Um, and it, I don't know whether that affected Canberra at all, Canberra's players in terms of their energy levels, in terms of whatever, but uh, it seems to be a much better vibe for the fans at the very least. They were really loud. Um, they sounded fantastic on TV. They looked really good. And they were really behind Canberra as well. After that first goal that Michelle Heyman scored, you really started to be like, ooh, this could be pretty spicy. It was, it was a really early goal as well. I think in the first five minutes, Michelle Heyman slotted past Jada Wyman. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate as well that it was Wyman's first game back after that long injury as well. Like she can't be feeling too great about herself. Um, but yeah, like it was a it was a funny game. I feel like it was a case of Canberra were better than what they perhaps have been in the past and Sydney were just a little bit worse. And so it sort of evened out a little bit. And even in the stats of the game, like they had the equal, an equal amount of shots. They had an equal amount of basically possession. Like it was a really even 50-50 kind of matchup between these two sides. Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a game where like I'm kind of I'm uh, it makes me think that Canberra uh, have they've sort of got over the bump. They've got over like the Wednesday of their season. You know what I mean? Like they sort of were like oh fucking sort of like like crawling the up the hill, the bump of the the mid middle of the season sort of blues, and then now they're like. Ooh, Okay, like here's the here's what it feels like to score again. Here's what it feels like to click again. Midfield was really good. Everyone was working really well together. Defensively, they were quite good, and up front as well. Like they seem to just have the vibe back, which is sort of what they've been looking for for the past couple of weeks. So yeah, I mean, good good on Canberra. Like it sucks, but good on Canberra. Sydney still have two games in hand over the teams above them on the table. So if they're able to win both of those games, they'll be on equal points with Western United in first place. So. You know, this is I like as much as I love Sydney. Results like this are a good thing because it means that it keeps the league interesting. You know, and we spoke a couple of episodes ago about how it seems to be like the best, the top sort of three, four, and then the rest. And there's just this huge gap in terms of the mid table sort of teams. But this is the kind of result that's like, yeah, actually, maybe the gap is not too big after all. Yeah, I mean, it's a great position for me to be in. Uh, you know. Canberra United fan, a victory fan. I feel like I can't lose. I don't know. I say that. I feel like the universe heard that. Yeah. It's like, just you wait. Just cursed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Um, what was really interesting about this game for me, I think Canberra's formation. So they had Grace Ma in like kind of the center of defense. Um, and we've seen her play there before. Is that wrong, Marissa? You know I have anxiety. You're right. That was me expressing displeasure about Grace Ma being a central defender or anywhere near the oh. back line. I'm sorry for concerning you like that. That's fair. That's fair. You had your own concerns. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and she was in the back line. Um, but I think it ended up kind of working, it, like, clearly worked fine Sydney's goal came from 
um, a keeper error that we've seen a few times this season, basically, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing when we think about keeping in the dub because so basically um but are we uh, like put pressure onto chloe lincoln who held onto the ball for too long um got the ball off chloe lincoln chloe like lincoln couldn't get back to her line in time and she just kind of popped it in the goal so like that that kind of moment of putting pressure on keepers when they faff about too much that's happened like three times i think to my count maybe more in a few different games and I mean, in terms of keeper mistakes that you can make, I don't think that's necessarily too bad. I think it points to like more keepers being oriented around like, you know, distributing the ball in swap smart ways. And like, that's the risk that you're going to cop um, if you're learning that craft, I suppose. Uh, anyway, that was a side tangent. Um, what was I saying? So yeah, Grace Ma in defense, they had the, the kind of, you know, back three thing going on which I think gave like players like Grove um and Flannery as well a lot more authority to kind of like push forward um and they've uh, like we've seen Canberra have to tweak their formation a little bit over the season um but this this seemed to work I'm not too sure if it was due to you know clientele um but having Laura Hughes in front of Grace Ma they've played so much football together really worked um and I I do rate Hughes as a defensive midfielder but she was obviously like as Sam mentioned how you love to see it really taking it to Sydney as well and doing some audacious things so yeah it was just it was an interesting game as well because I think you could see Sydney get quite rattled early on and um Canberra even though the shots and shots on target are the same I think it was like 11 shots total for both and then five on target um Canberra had a couple of shots off target that really should have been on target like they had some really really substantial chances um and I wonder how much of that is due to Mackenzie Hawksby not playing because she was out on accumulated yellows (laughs) so I'm not laughing to be clear I'm not laughing at that as a thing but it's actually no I am it it is kind of funny because she's a she's cheeky (laughs) Mackenzie she she is cheeky uh, and she does like to get stuck in and uh, I forget that this can happen and players can be out on accumulated, acu- that's a word, accumulated yellows. Anyway, but yeah, um, I do feel like maybe Sydney suffered a little bit lacking her kind of engine in the midfield and then, you know, you have someone like Vine who's trying to just do everything herself and yeah. It just didn't, and uh, I mean, Princess Beanie had a bit of an off there. Is a few different factors. It just wasn't Sydney's day, but um, this will be a huge confidence boost for Canberra. Weird to think like that, yeah, that they're actually contending for finals at this point. Um, but anything can happen in the dub. Uh, it is one of those ones. Is it like, is this because we've got a lot of really good teams, or is it because we have a lot of teams that are not very good? <laughs> Best league in the world. Best league in the world. <laughs> anyway, so that's my takes on Canberra. Uh Canberra Sydney. I will say, Canberra, Canberra fans. Best fans in the league. So Oh no, are. that's a contentious statement actually. I'm gonna fire some people up <laughs> up with that. I take it back. Love you all. <laughs> Everyone equally. Yeah. No favourite. Equally. It's anyway. a good point, actually, that you make, Angela, about the formation because it, it, like, Sydney absolutely did suffer from the lack of Mackenzie Hawksby, and at the very same time, 
by shifting to like a 3-5-2, Canberra had overloads in midfield as well. And Sydney's midfield tends to be their engine, right? It's their, it's their probably most dominant area of their entire team. So once you take one little chink, one little cog out of that midfield in Hawksby and you replace it with someone like Rachel Lowe, who's a very different kind of midfielder who moves very differently. And then all of a sudden you add an extra player from Canberra into that space as well. And you absolutely suffocate Sydney's midfield out of the game. That is where I feel like they got really, really rattled and Canberra totally capitalized on it. And you're right. Like they could have had probably a couple more goals had they been a little bit more clinical and not just sort of fluffed it around. So yeah, it's, it's, Smart coaching, I think. If anything, shout out to friend of the to- of friend of the pod, Tom. Um, uh, <laughs> this is Ta-da-da, a Canberra Todd. coach that. <laughs> the Canberra United role is not yours yet, Tom. You have to wait a little bit longer. Nagos Popovich has, yeah, he's he's done a he's done a coaching, so uh, he's safe for another week at least. <laughs> Tom's already moved on to the Adelaide gig, though. That's where Tom has That's his true. sights set on anyway. But um. So- I just when you said that Popovich had like done a coaching, I was you know when people play they're like I, I did a thing. I'm just like <laughs> sorry, that's where my brain went. He Very niche. Um, uh, I feel like millennial esque internet reference. <laughs> what are we but a bunch of millennial dub lovers? Um, we can't change who we are as people. Anyway. I will once again just say lol. Um, but also, like you mentioned it, Sam, the the crowd, the noise. I know that it's probably because of so the good. position of the mics, but it was it, it was one of those ones where you were like, someone please turn the volume down, actually, because it doesn't just sound <laughs> loud. It sounds broken. Like, that's how much noise <laughs> is coming at you. Um, and I was thinking about it. I was like, God, if. We did some sort of, like, weird gender swap. Canberra United would be that team that, like, people who read Mundial magazine would follow just for, like, real niche areas. And not not just, like, because, you know, Little Club does well, well well-supported, but also the off-field initiatives, you know that they, like, care about their community. They They care about kind of everything else. And I was just like, they would absolutely be frothed over if they were a men's club, but we're not going to get into that kind of conversation. Instead, we are going to move on to Western United 2, Melbourne City 1. It's hilarious now that twice Melbourne City have been the better side against Western United and both times they have come away with a loss. Like, obviously it's not funny if you're a Melbourne City fan, but it is genuinely astounding that this has now happened twice in the same season. The stats are ridiculous. So in this game, um, Melbourne City had 22 shots to Western United's eight, 10 on target to Western United's four. They had more possession. They had more passes. Their passing accuracy was better. They just were like better in every sort of sense except for the actual scoreline. And it was a very similar story earlier in the year when they lost 3-1. They had 16 shots, six on target to Western United's nine shots, four on target. And it's just, how do Western United keep doing this? And how do Melbourne City still not know? Obviously, very small sample size. It's only been two games. But 
it's funny that it's happened twice, right? Like it's weird that it's happened twice, that Melbourne City just don't know how to beat Western United. So is this more telling about Melbourne City maybe not taking their chances or Western United just having something in them that says, no, not today, Melbourne City, up yours, basically. (laughs) I think it's both. I love this. I love that Western United are already starting to live rent-free in the heads of Melbourne City players you know like you you already start to feel that this is the vibe and this is the rivalry that's being developed between these two clubs and at the end of this game it was the weirdest game because you're right marissa like melbourne city were so dominant in so many ways and yet it was western who just scrapped and scraped and and western united themselves to a to a victory and you saw it in the the reaction of the Melbourne City players at the full time whistle. You saw like their their shoulders slump. You saw their faces drop. You saw them just be like, "How the fuck did we lose that?" Like it was it was crazy. And I mean, full credit to Western. Full credit to them for particularly going out in that second half. And like they clearly went into the halftime break being like, "That was shit house. We need to get our act together and actually try and play some football." And they came out in the second half and they did. They tried to. And even though City, I think, played better football, quote unquote, Western United, they were more, they were more sort of, they were, they were energetic. They were rough and tumble. They, they pressed, they, they did all the, all the other stuff that you can't do when you don't have the ball. And I feel like that's sort of what, their identity is becoming now like we've seen them sort of do this over a couple of games this season where they weren't the best football team but they were the best team who worked the hardest off the ball and out of possession and I I kind of really love that about them and we sort of talked about it like when they when we first sort of started to watch Western that they had like a Western like gremlin sort of like vibe to them like they had just this like (laughs) you know what I mean like they had the they had the the rough they had the 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 dog the mongrel in them I think this mongrel is the term that we used right and I think this was exactly the the sort of personification of that this game um and again it's great for the league it's great for the top four to have these kinds of um spicy things happen um I think Melbourne City it's another example of how much their football has um, regressed in style since the start of the season. Like a lot of their chances came from just transition long balls, which is not very Melbourne City of them. Um, There are a lot of sort of just like big pingers from um, Rihanna Policina to O'Reilly Henry, who was cutting in behind a a fullback or something. And she just, you know, she had two or three really good chances that she just fizzed wide or whatever. Um, and yeah, and it just didn't, I don't know, like, even though they had so many shots and had so much possession, it still didn't really feel like the city that we know. I don't know. What's your vibe? Uh, I'm just going to repeat a take I had a couple of weeks ago. I think they're missing Galich. Um, mm. she provided something really exciting at the start of the obviously, obviously also missing Kote Rojas. I think we've t- talked about this at length I I say I think because I can't remember but I feel like we definitely like we've we've talked about what a great player she is but the kind of um stuff that she offers is so different to Hannah Wilkinson Hannah Wilkinson babe I put you down for golden boot okay (laughs) and at this point it's embarrassing 
I didn't put you down for the most offsides that a player can get in a game either. I do respect the fact that she got called for three offsides, which were all three of City's offsides. And the second half, she's like, you know what? I've I've learned. I'm good. Um, but yeah, it's just ah, it's a weird. It is a weird one. And I will say, does it not make sense that the meme team? is succeeding in the meme league. Like City, cool. Fancy fancy football. Oh, you can pass the ball. That's nice. Boring. <laughs> Sorry, I've had a little bit of um local brewing companies victory drafts, so <laughs> I'm popping off a little bit this sleeping. <laughs> no wonder you're more vuck than usual. You're literally drinking the vuck. <laughs> Sweet, sweet nectar. Um, <laughs> it's grown on me a lot, actually. I will probably be buying more of this. Um, sponsor us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, I don't really have many takes on the actual football, to be honest. Um, I did find it interesting that one thing I did know, like, so Keane's got, again, goalkeepers just being like oh a striker would you like the ball oh here you go go." (laughs) and credit to Hannah Keane like not you know not every player will convert that shot I I imagine sometimes you'd be quite surprised if you got the ball in that situation you wouldn't necessarily be expecting to capitalize on you know that that kind of pressure off the bat but um Hannah Keane scored her 10th goal of the season fantastic but she was also dropping quite deep in moments in the game, which I don't know if that's been an ongoing thing or something I've just noticed, but I wonder if that's just to kind of get the attention away from her as a player because obviously scoring as many goals as she has this season and making a name for herself, she's going to be a bit of a target player. Um, But, yeah, making those runs more from like a deeper position as well. Um, That was kind of interesting, but that's that's all my takes. That's all. Uh, But it... It's funny. This is when you started reading out the stats, Marissa. I was actually laughing on mute because it is. It's like twenty-two to ten. What is going on? What is so going? Yeah. Oh, uh, um. And the thing is, like, I'd be like, "Oh, City have a fire in the belly," but I'm like, "Will they?" I don't. I just don't see them as the kind of team to respond again because they're not thrashing people. I don't know. I'll say this, and they're gonna thwack a team six nil or something in the next few weeks but yeah it's just I I don't know where that spark is going to come for them like what they can change at this point to kind of present themselves as a scary team to play mm. I feel like they're kind of a known quantity even if they are even if they are a good known quantity at this point so yeah anyway yeah good point they're not scary anymore they used to be Right, they used to be, but they just they just don't have it anymore. And they've, I think it's because of games like this. It's because of games where they they have so much of the ball. They try to play their style so much, and and yet it, it just doesn't work. And it's not really like Western United didn't really do anything like brain genius areas to stop Melbourne City from score. They just didn't do it, and the longer the game went on and the more they tried plan A and plan B and plan C and, and the, the, the more it didn't work, you just saw them like deflate in terms of their own confidence in themselves. They just don't seem like they have 
much else. If they don't sort of get you early in that first half, if they don't dominate and capitalise on their possession and their opportunities early, I feel like they are the kind of team who aren't able to like drag themselves through a game like Western can. Because Western have been in games like this before where they have been the better team. They have had more of the ball. They have had more opportunities and yet the ball just doesn't want to go and it's home. But they've found ways to grind out the win anyway. I don't feel like Melbourne City have that vibe. They don't have the ability to, to grind it. And also, like, proper credit to West End for being able to get a result like this three days after that game against Newcastle. Like, that's a really rapid turnaround. And also having to, like, back up basically the same number of players as well. Like, I don't think there were very many changes at all from that loss to Newcastle. And we spoke about it, I think, in the last episode or the episode before that about how this quick turnover could actually be the stumbling block for Western United. Um, having to play back-to-back games, I think three games in the space of, what, 10 days or something ridiculous. Um, and they've proved me wrong. They've, they beat Melbourne City and now they're going to have to go back to Newcastle to play the Jets again. So they'll probably want some revenge after that 2-0 loss on Wednesday. Um, and I, I, I back them to, to get that done. Oh, I was going to say, it's real, like, City used to be Regina George and now they're Gretchen Wiener. <laughs> More millennial references for you all. <laughs> now, children, that is a reference to the film Mean Girls and Mummy used to watch that a lot. She loves that film. I can't. <laughs> that, that's a, another very millennial, a millennial thing to just say, I can't. I simply cannot. Um, I so I hashtag dub zoned and I labelled uh, Western United as Melbourne City's bogey team because it's like facts are facts. We are, we have seen mm. two games bogey team, but there was a really interesting discussion on dub zone. So just like quick yes or no, they've said even though it's only been two games, is City versus Western a rivalry now, or at the very least, the beginnings of a rivalry? Yes, totally. Mm. I agree. I would say City need um, an, uh, um, fans <coughs> uh, to really bring it. And Western have the Western core, and we yeah. love them. They are loud, they are present. But they need someone to yell at. So that's that's kind of in my head a rivalry. That's a really big part of it. But um, I think in terms of on paper, yes. I, I like I'll definitely be excited for future fixtures between these two teams. I thought you were going to say a win, which in my opinion, opinion, you also yeah. need for a rivalry. Like both teams need to have won, so you have that back and forth. But um, the direction you took it, damn. Um, I'm so sorry to she, she'd, she'd be drinking that to this juice. She be drinking that victory <laughs> juice. Anywho, let's move on to the other like massive game of the weekend. Perth Glory Four, Newcastle Jets nil. Uh, Sierra Henson yeah. was bringing the goals like sensational. Um, I did more stat looking. Newcastle was so confusing. So they produced more shots and shots on target in this four nil loss than they did in their two nil win over Western United. Make that one make sense, people. Honestly, I I can't explain that one at all. But um, obviously, I think the, the focus here needs to be on Perth. They're starting to gather a little bit of steam. We spoke about it last week, how they've got 
games in hand. So if they've got the time and the momentum on their side, is everything coming together finally for the Perth Glory? Are we maybe talking about them as entering the chat RE finals? I think so. I think so. I think they're on a bit of a run now. This was a, like, this wasn't just a win. This was like a really emphatic flogging from Perth Glory. They were so dominant in so many ways. And this was also against a pretty good Newcastle team as well. Newcastle were not bad. Um, And also, like, they'd just come off that incredible win against Western. They were high on confidence. They were skating along. And Perth were just like, you know what, Dulls? Nah, sorry. And just pop pop the bubble and they just killed him. It was, it was great. And it, it's the kind of football that I feel like, like this season is the season that Perth has been building towards for a while. And it's really nice to see it all working. Sierra Hinson was fucking unbelievable. Those two goals, they were going to be my love to see it at the start of the episode because like they were just both so outrageous. And like one of them could be the goal of the week in any other week. The fact that she scored two of them, and in the same game, in, in a game like this as well, was just blah, blah, incredible. Um, so it's really great to see her, step, particularly stepping up in uh, in the absence of Riley Basin, who was their other main goal-scoring threat before she did a knee. So being able to see, yeah, like this all sort of like coming together very nicely, like it's you're like, mm, yes. And if you're starting to look now at sort of permutations, you know, looking at the table, like Perth are in seventh now. They're one of just three teams who have only played 11 games, whereas most teams around them have played 12 or 13. Only Sydney and Wellington have played 11. Um, then the games that they've got coming up are against some pretty beatable sides. You've got to say they've got Brisbane, uh, they've got Western Sydney, they've got Adelaide. Like you could rack up some pretty serious points pretty quickly against teams like that in the next couple of rounds. So yeah, like, good on Perth I'm just like I'm I'm thrilled for them I'm glad I'm also glad that like the project of the of the whole sort of blooding the young guns is is really coming off because you sort of see clubs sometimes go down this road where they get this big crop of young Matildas or junior Matildas and they sort of like they try to involve them like Sydney FC did this a couple of seasons ago as well they sort of they they bring them in um, fresh and new and some of them don't really get much of a run in their first season that they've signed and they start to sort of be plopped around here and there and then they start to sort of like become like the next core of the team. Sydney done, did that last season. I feel like this is Perth's time now. This is the Hannah Lowry generation time to really step up and take ownership of this club and of this part of the country and of this part of the competition. So, yeah, good on it. I'm excited to see what they can do. I... I think Perth could, like, I I feel good about this because I wanted Perth to do well this season. Um, I just appreciate, like, the kind of, like, way that they play. They've got these really exciting, like, young midfielders, as you say, Sam. Like, Hannah Lowry has been fantastic for quite a while. Like, she's always been talented, but I think that her kind of – how she has grown into the role that she now plays in this side is really exciting. Mm. Um, I think Perth also just like Western, they just have a bit of mongrel about them. Um, mm. They've also, you can't underestimate the kind of experience that they have in their, their back line in the likes of like Tash Rigby, Kim Carroll, like 
maybe not the fastest backline in the league, but very experienced. Whereas, like, I feel like when you look at a Newcastle, they've got heaps of engines. They're but like, I don't think they can just the way that Perth were able to work around them this game and kind of tap into the defensive weakness. I just, I, I'm in, I'm into it. Um, yeah, and I think also Perth are better than Brisbane. Um, in in my head, I don't have any takes to kind of back that up necessarily, but I feel like Perth could easily kind of leapfrog Brisbane. I think they play more exciting football at this mm. stage, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what what they do. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. Double thumbs up to what Alex Parkas has done. And it's a shame that they took a little while to get started this season. But, I mean, it's not over. And we got more rounds. So it's very exciting. That's right. More rounds. Yeah. Marissa, didn't you say, I think, on Twitter earlier this week that in previous years we would this would have been the end of the season? And I was like, oh, my God. So much room for possibilities and activities now. Like, look at all this extra space we've got. Far out. (laughs) So exciting. And activities is the funniest way to describe (laughs) another third of a season, but I love it nonetheless. (laughs) But, yeah, literally, like, round 14 was usually we're done. It's over. It's finals time. And now we have six more weeks of regular season football and then finals. That's a how good. That's an early how good. And we absolutely love to see it. But, um, yeah, it's things are getting very tight in the middle of the table. And like we've spoken about, those games in hand really make things interesting. So um, it's really hard because I feel like there's also a couple of teams where it's like, well, they're doing really well and they're doing really well and they're doing really well but they can't all fit into finals. So obviously Mm. this little stretch home is going to really be revealing for the likes of Canberra, of Perth, if Western Sydney can kind of do anything with their recent wins, if anyone from the top four is going to fall out of the top four. There's lots to kind of uh, look at and talk about, and it's very, very interesting. But we're going to move into some quick little Rondo questions. Obviously, so we're recording on a Tuesday night. Yes, because it's Valentine's Day. I made myself a little Valentine's Day joke at the start. Um, We're about to head into the international break. The A-League women's will be breaking for the international break. We've got three Tillies games coming up. But which teams in the A-League women's will be actually benefiting from this break? Does any team kind of scream out at you as we need a week off to just reset and recharge? Honestly, I reckon Melbourne City. I reckon Melbourne City, they sort of, they just need a, they just need a moment to take a step back and be like, all right, let's just take it back to the basics. Let's just figure out the kind of football that we want to play. Who are we? What do we do best? Who are our best players? What are our best combos? And let's just go forward with that. I feel like they've like, they've almost sort of become too... Like they've tried to overthink it in some ways. Um, so, and like they're really, yeah, they just they just need to sort of chill out a little bit. And I think the other team who really needs a break is Adelaide. Uh, like poor gals, they just, they just, just put them, give them this, this week and a half, this two week break, just put Chelsea Dorber and Fiona Wirtz in front of a goal net and just tell them to kick the ball at it. Just over and over again until there are bats out, you know, like just tell them to do it because they need to remind themselves what it sounds like for the ball to hit the back of the net. They just need something 
to change. They just need, yeah, they need a reset. So hopefully Adelaide are able to use this opportunity to really just figure it all out because it's been, it's been kind of like, it's been kind of sad, you know, like this is a great Adelaide team on paper and they just haven't been able to translate it. So it's like, come on girls, like give us a, do a, do a Perth glory in 20, what was it? 2020, 2021, 2019, 2020, when they came like, like, their last like four or five games of the season, they knew they were out of finals, but they just fucking came storming through and just like had all these amazing results against these big teams and totally derailed some people's chance at finals. They just went absolute chaos mode. I want I want that for Adelaide so much. What couldn't they do an Adelaide? Yeah, Adelaide 2016, 2017. That was wild. Do you guys yes. remember that? Yes. Those are the days. Those were actually, just to be clear, I'm very happy for the progress and growth we have made as a league. I do not want to go back to that place, but that sweet memories. Um, I was, my take is, I was just like Western United because they need to rest their legs and also they don't need to go out to Ballarat midweek, which must be nice for them to not do that again. They will, however, be playing uh, the Young Matildas in the international break. So I don't ever actually think they would be, I mean, some of their more maybe senior players might be getting a bit of a rest and they might run some of their benchies or some of their train ons. But um, yeah, so Western United and Melbourne city as well, funnily enough, are both going to be playing uh, the young Matildas during the international break as well. Guys, in order to go boss, one must go rest. Let them them have have a break. Honestly. I was going to make a gaslight gatekeep joke, but nothing came to me. But um, Melon's currently, like, gaslighting you, it feels like, to be honest, just consistently walking across your face. Yeah, I think he's trying to say that he needs third dinner, which... (laughs) You know what that is? That's girl bossing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um... Yeah, it's funny as well that you mentioned both Adelaide and Melbourne City. I know they're playing the young Matildas, but Adelaide had the uh, the bye rather this round and Melbourne City have the bye first round back. So they will have a bit of an extended break, which is interesting to see. But let's move on to another quick Rondo question. A little bit of golden boot chat. I know, Angela, I think you said that um, Hannah Wilkinson was really letting you down in your um, prediction for golden boot. Hannah Keane, she is on... 10 um that was the other thing people were talking about like oh she's on 10 she's entered double digits and she still has like six rounds to go or something like that could she be breaking like the league scoring record for a single season but the question I wanted to ask was uh Michelle Heyman and Madison Haley are both on seven behind her are either of them catching Hannah Keane in the golden boot race I think yes I think both of them will. Um, I think Hannah Keane, the she's sort of even though she has been scoring consistently, the kinds of goals that she's been scoring haven't really been as convincing as what they used to be. You know what I mean? Like the goals when Jess McDonald was still part of the team were just real like training ground type of like tap it in, absolutely banging fine goals. But these ones are like a little bit more chancy. They're a little bit more sort of if you don't absolutely extend that leg that far, you're not going to get there type of goals. 
Whereas I think the goals that Heyman, or maybe more, like I feel like Heyman is, is, is scoring goals in a similar kind of way. Hers aren't maybe as convincing as what they used to be either. But I think Madison Haley is definitely scoring better goals more often than, and, and would probably by virtue of that um, be able to cat, like make up the ground a little bit faster um and yeah and it's basically only them two really who like if you look at the the rest of the golden boot ladder you've got Alex Chidiak on six but we know that she's going to be going back to racing Louisville after this RIP um and then below her on equal fifth place is Melina Reyes, Princess Sabini, Rihanna Policina and Riley Bayston so you know these are some players who can't play anymore because their knees are blown out some players who are sort of really dipping in form at the moment as well so it's pretty much between Haley and Heyman to see who can catch up to with uh, with Hannah Kane. So that'd be, yeah, a really interesting race, I reckon. My thinking is like, actually, I've, I know what I think. Uh, Sydney love to thump a team. And I feel like, yeah, Haley could catch up in that, mm. in that instance. Um, I don't know. Like I was just looking at the remain, remaining fixtures for the season and, Canberra, like, see, this is like old kind of biases coming through. I'm like, oh, Canberra play Western Sydney twice, but Western Sydney have not been shabby this season. No. So there's not a guarantee that they'll be able to stack up heaps of, heaps of goals. And like, similarly with Adelaide United, like they haven't been losing, like that's the, they've been losing by quite slim margins for the most part. So that's just kind of where my maths where my maths went. Um, so I think Haley, yes, possibly. I mean, it's not out of the question for either of them, but um, I do think that Hannah Kim will get golden boot ultimately. But I think I, I, Jesus Christ, Melon, what do you want? <laughs> he's a big Fair. fan of Hannah Kane, so I think he's saying that she's going to get the golden boot. <laughs> Follows him for, on Instagram. For listeners, Melon, as Angela was trying to make a point there, Melon was just like thwacking his tail in Angela's face and around the mouth and jaw. And yeah, it was interesting watching her try to put words together when um, such <laughs> something that was happening. Wasn't yeah. I was gonna say it wasn't wasn't gaslighting so much as like perhaps passing gas through Melon, um, <laughs> constantly showing you his ass. Now on the keyboard, now just hanging out on the keyboard as cats are wont to do. I was gonna suggest he was gatekeeping Angela's takes from us by walking in front of her mouth. Um, also, you forget the most dub result in the Golden Boot race would be three way tie between. King oh, Heyman right. and Haley. Uh, of uh, course. Chaos brains, yeah, babies. Chaos brains. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be fun regardless. Um, and one little, one last little Rondo question, just to get us into Tilly's mo, because the the Cup of Nations, the Cup of Nations themselves are very, very close. Um. I wrote for ESPN basically about like, holy shit, it's 2023. Oh my God. Um, This is basically not only one of the last opportunities the Matildas will have to kind of practice World Cup stuff and replicate the tournament environment. It's a really 
it's as close as they're going to get to a World Cup group stage before the actual World Cup group stage. And obviously, everyone is fighting for their spot. Everyone wants to be in that final 23 for the for the World Cup. So my question to all of you is, which Matildas need to impress at the Cup of Nations? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there's a couple. Um, the first one that immediately jumps to mind for me is Larissa Crummer. Um, I don't think any, any of us really are convinced at the moment that she is a lock-on for the World Cup squad. I, I still don't really understand why she's there. I feel like of all the ways in which she's been used so far under Tony Gustafsson, there's a, there's a player out there who is better at that than what she is. And she hasn't been performing for Brisbane Raw. Like she hasn't been scoring goals. Um, and even being played in that sort of number nine position, being the sort of the, the, the tall forward who with her back to goal and tries to lay off part, like she still hasn't even really been doing that. So I, I just, it, yeah, it sort of baffles me that she's been continually called into this team when it, it doesn't seem like she's performing at either level. Um, and we know from past um, traumatic experiences that she, you know, as much as she might want to do well in another position, like a fullback, for example, it's just it's just not there. Like the the game and footballers have moved on now to such a point that, like a utility player like that, where you're you're not really able to do either of the positions that you're being asked to do. It's like, you can't, I just feel like it's a bit of a wasted spot at the moment. So she, she really, really needs to step up. She needs to do something serious in, in one of these games. If she gets, if she gets a good run. Um, I think another player with a bit of a point to prove, but not so much is Courtney Vine. Um, she hasn't really been firing that much for Sydney FC this season. I feel like last year was really her golden year. And I interviewed her for ABC recently, actually. And she, sort of acknowledged the same as well. She, you know, was feeling that she um, she had a bit of a point to prove and um, she hasn't really been at her best with the, with the Sky Blues for a couple of different reasons. Um, but this is the, I think this is the moment for her to really try and um, make sure that she locks in that sort of second wing position. Like if it's her, if it's between her and Hayley Rasso, and that's a serious contest between who you start between those two players. That's good for me. Like, I know I think she's capable of being that player. Um, but yeah, other than that, like I, I full credit to Claire Hunt for being called up, earning her first ever call up to the Matildas. I think she's absolutely deserved that. We spoke about that during the, um, during previous episodes. I, I don't know if she'll get a run just because she's so new and the speed of international football is such that sometimes players are called into camps like this just to experience training um, and even training can sometimes be overwhelming. Like even in training environments, you're not able to keep up with it. So, yeah, I'd like it to be great to see her get a run, uh, particularly if she's able to do it in front of family and friends, you know. Um, but if she doesn't, that's totally okay as well. So, yeah, I think Larissa Crummer and Courtney Vine are the two for me. Larissa Crummer is weird though because it's like I'm not entirely sure how she kept – getting called back so what yeah. is there to suggest that she'll get not get called back even if she doesn't do much I'd, mm. I'd yeah just I don't know what's going on there so um I would say I yeah I feel like Claire Hunt like Ellie Carpenter is gonna be in that yeah. space 
soon enough. Um, so yeah, it's a, but it's very exciting in terms of, for fuck's sake, no one. Um, he's like sat on my keyboard in front of me, just base skin, aren't you? Um, yeah, I think most of these feel like locks for the most part. Um, so I don't really have any fancy, fancy names to put forward. I like even Chidiac for a bit, it was a bit touch and go. Um, just because she was like sometimes in and then not, but I feel like if she does well, this tournament, you can't not take her to the world cup. Like she's just proven herself quite a few, like repeatedly at this point. So yeah, I think maybe Amy Sawyer just cause she's, but then it's always like, Oh, if this person is taken out of the squad, then who's coming in to replace them. And yeah. So th- that's, that's very smart, Angela. That's a great observation. So, uh, I'd, it's not really Claire Hunt is like for, for the long-term project of Claire Hunt, but um, I don't expect that she'll be called back in after this for the World Cup. Yeah. That I think one problem. other player who does need to step up a little bit more is Elise Keller-Knight as well. I feel like I've been kind of underwhelmed with her at Melbourne Victory so far, and I but I completely appreciate that she's coming off the back of basically two years of injuries. And, like, for someone in her 30s, for someone who's sort of in the twilight of her career, even getting back to playing at all after all of the shit that she's been through physically and emotionally as well, psychologically with these injuries and, and all the the difficulty of the rehab like it's amazing that she's playing for victory at all but I think if she if she does want to make the world cup squad I feel like this is perhaps the camp in which she needs to show that she has this she can achieve the levels that she was able to in the past before she went through this series of injuries um because really it's this and then we've got the April window which is going to be in Europe and then we've got one more friendly game which is going to be in Melbourne at the start of July. That's not very many opportunities to be able to prove to someone that you're capable of playing in a World Cup. And this is going to be a World Cup as well, where we have to keep in mind that other nations have been progressing over the last four years as well. They've been getting faster. They've been getting stronger. They've been getting tactically more sophisticated. So you need to be really sure that you've got the players who are capable of matching that. So, yeah, Elise Kellen-Knight for me is another one who I think needs to potentially do something in these three games. I said it in our big board app and I said it in the article as well. We have so many midfielders who do so many different type of things, type of things, so many different kinds of things. Um, And if we're working to the assumption that the way the Matildas set up in the last couple of games of 2022 with kind of four attackers, the front two, Kerr and Ford, and then wingers really pushing forward. It's a very top-heavy kind of um, lineup. There's just not a lot of space for midfielders on the pitch, but we have so many midfielders. So for me, Anyone who identifies as a midfielder in this squad needs to be doing something in order to, like, remind Tony almost of their existence. Um, Because at the moment it feels like we got Kyra and we got Katrina. And if you're not one of them, you're not not really starting. Um, We know that there are players who do the uh, game-changer role to perfection, but 
players would, I assume, prefer to be starting. So for me, everyone in the midfield, maybe it's not pressure to perform, but in my mind, they will all be feeling a little bit of, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. When it when is he going to notice me? I've got to do something to kind of get Tony's attention and remind him that I could just as easily be a starting midfielder in this Matilda's lineup. So, um, obviously, we can't wait for the Cup of Nations. It's going to be very, very fun. We've got our first game against the Czech Republic very, very soon. Reminder: we are recording on a Tuesday, so literally, we'll be talking to you about Tilly's in absolutely no time, but. Let's move on to a boot. Uh, Canada, not so friendly, not so nice. The uh, Canadian Federation, seemingly bad, very, very bad. So I'm not explaining this eloquently. So please, someone else. We don't like Canada at the moment. We're not big fans of their federation. Why are we not big fans of the Canadian Soccer Federation at the moment? Yes. So we've gone from kind of like being sort of afraid of Canada and really respecting what they were doing when they beat the Matildas last year to going, fuck Canada, come on, guys. Like, you're meant to be the good ones. You're meant to be the ones who give a shit about this stuff, you know? Like, you're meant to be nice. Okay, so for those who have missed it, um, the Canadian women's national team, who won a gold medal at the Tokyo 2020, actually 2021 Olympic Games, um, the Canada team that has the all-time leading goal scorer in the history of football, Christine Sinclair, the Canada team that has the first openly non-binary person to win a gold medal in Quinn, this Canada team who is so brilliant, this Canada team who is a golden generation, wanted basically to go on strike because their way in which their federation has treated them over the past year has been absolutely appalling. A number of players, all of the players uh, released a, a public statement earlier this week where they said that they had not been paid for the entirety of 2022 that they continue to be underfunded in terms of camps, that uh, the number of staff members that their uh, senior setup is provided by the, the Federation um, is dwindling, and that their youth programs are being completely gutted because of uh, some what seems to be some really stupid uh, financial decision-making from the Canadian Football Federation. Christine Sinclair posted... Uh, like literal receipts on Twitter where she highlighted the amount of money that had been pulled from the senior national team women's program, while the men's national team program has continued to be funded quite handsomely. And uh, like, uh, it, it was, it's just so infuriating. Like you have this amazing team, this team of incredible women who've just come off the back of one of the most successful international tournaments that Canada have ever played in. And this is how you decide to capitalize on that moment. Like we thought bucket man was bad in terms of popping the bubble of hype, but talk about fucking this. Like it's just, it's unreal. So the Canadian Federation, um, they came out and basically said that they are still in negotiations with the Canadian women's national team over their CBA. Um, that those negotiations hadn't concluded yet. Um, and the Canada women players were basically like, you know what, like, this is not good enough. Um, and a number of them confirmed 24 hours after they all released that statement, 
highlighting the disparities in terms of funding, in terms of support, in terms of resources, and said that they were not going to represent the national team unless there was a a, um, a resolution that was found in terms of the disparities that they'd highlighted, or B, if uh, leadership resigned, which is a pretty sort of, that's a big thing to call for both of those things. But as we've seen in the past, over a number of different federations, a number of different nations, often it's player strikes that actually gets shit done. The Matildas did it back in 2015. We've seen Spain doing it recently as well. We've seen it happen with Norway. We've seen it happen with Brazil. We've seen it happen with Nigeria. We've seen it happen with Argentina. We've seen it happen with so many national teams where the only way in which they have any kind of bargaining power is actually by refusing to play because they realise that they are the federation. They are the reason that people watch. They are what football is all about. And so they use that even if it means that there is a threat to their careers, they stand collectively together in order to try and help the rest of the sport to improve. So absolutely hats off to the Canadian women players um, and non-binary players uh, for for doing that together. Um, And absolutely fuck off to the Canadian Federation because when the players did say that they wanted to strike and they didn't want to represent the team at the upcoming She Believes Cup, the Canadian Federation said, oh, okay, well, we'll just sue you with all of the money that we have apparently, uh, which we haven't been paying you, and we will come at you and uh, force you to, uh, like, cop the financial strains that we have already been responsible for creating. So it's just like they have just completely just torpedoed any kind of trust or goodwill that had been generated over the last 18 months as a result of what Canada had done at the Olympics and also what the men's team had done at the World Cup as well. Like it really felt like Canada football was starting to really gain some momentum. There's discussions about a new women's league starting out, like all this stuff, and they've just completely just blown it to smithereens in this one ridiculous moment. So, I I mean, the Canada women's national team players, the latest is that they – have come out and said that they will play in the She Believes Cup now as a result of the threats um, from the the Canadian Federation. Um, But this is not over and nor should it be because this is uh, completely unacceptable in like it's, I hate, I hate using this phrase, but it's 2023. Like we are seeing the women's game absolutely take off in so many respects, in so many areas of the world. This is Canada. Like, you you know better than this and you should be doing better than this. So do better. Big boot. Enormous boot. Enormous. The size of Canada. That's how big the boot is. Um, let's move on to happier things, though, because we've got a pretty big how good coming up after the February international window. So... Do you want to do the how good as well? <laughs> I mean, I can like if people aren't sick of hearing me talk, I can I can, I can balance out the the rage of uh, being angry at Canada to the absolute joy of the uh, the A leagues finally introducing their first ever Pride celebration round. Finally, like we did it, folks. We we yelled and screamed and 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 typed enough that they've finally listened and they've given us what we want. Um, yeah, so uh, earlier this week as well, the APL announced that the, the A-Leagues would finally be announced, be uh, 
launching their first competition-wide Pride Round. Um, even though Pride Round is not the phrase that they're using because the the concept of a Pride Round is itself a little bit problematic and it makes certain people sort of jump to certain conclusions and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're launching a, a competition-wide Pride Round. It's going to happen concurrently with Sydney Mardi Gras, which is so the last weekend of February. Um, and it's going to happen across both the men's and women's competition and then the following weekend for New Zealand because that's when Wellington Phoenix um, A-League men's and women's teams are going to have their home games and the club want to do their own little activations during that period with their home fans. So totally understand that. Um, it's, yeah, it's long overdue, I think. It, it comes off the back of not only the success of the Pride Cup that was launched last season uh, by Adelaide United, which they did a very, very good job of, but also smaller initiatives that clubs in the past have done, particularly Canberra United. They were the first A-League club to do any kind of pride recognition or initiative when they wore some rainbow socks and rainbow armbands um, several seasons ago. Sydney FC as well. Their fans did a, a nice pride celebration a few years ago as well. Um, so a couple of clubs have sort of taken the initiative themselves to do these kinds of things to, to celebrate the community and to try and create inclusive cultures. But this is the first time that the league itself has actually been like, all right, let's, let's do this thing. Um, so it's, it's a really, it's a really important step. And it's also, um, I think really important to note the way in which the, uh, the APL has approached this issue. So we look back to a couple of other examples in which sporting clubs or sporting leagues have tried to launch pride initiatives. I'm thinking, for example, the Manly Sea Eagles or the Cairns Taipans in the NBL. These were initiatives that were sort of done um, from the top down. It was a decision from management to say, all right, let's do this like fun sort of inclusion thing and then we'll just like decide it now and then all the players will be on board. That is not how these things work. That is how you get a situation like what happened at the sea, at the Sea Eagles, where players weren't consulted over these kinds of issues and they rejected, like completely, the idea of participating. So, I remember writing about that particular issue and and bringing those questions to mind when I was putting together my story about the launch of the A League's Pride Round. And what they've done differently is over the past 18 months, they've been consulting with all of the players. They've been consulting with all of the coaches. They've been consulting with all of the executives of all of the clubs. They've aligned themselves with Pride Cup, um, which is the organisation, the non-profit organisation that ran the Adelaide United initiative last year. And Pride Cup has been going into all of these different clubs and delivering education sessions, workshops, and actually getting players to talk amongst themselves about why these kinds of initiatives really matter. And in sort of past examples, I think one of the biggest issues has been that the concept of a Pride Round or a Pride Initiative has sort of been like this vague, like inclusion, diversity, lots of buzzword type of things without actually having an, a goal, without actually having something concrete that they want to try and address. But what research has shown is that Pride Rounds are actually only really effective if they are directed specifically at countering homophobic language and behaviour in sport. That is what they are designed to target. So what the APL have done with their A-Leagues Pride Round is they've gone into deliver all these education sessions. And then over the course of this Pride Round weekend, they're going to have a number of other kinds of activations and mechanisms that are being introduced specifically for this reason. So, for example, there are going to be um, 
phone numbers that are um, beamed sort of around various stadiums, which is a hotline that folks can call if they experience or they witness homophobia um, towards players, towards fans. They can call anonymously and they can report that abuse. Um, there's going to be a number of um, hot, sort of hotline numbers and helplines that pop up um, on the broadcast as well for Channel 10 and for Paramount+. Plus. And there's also going to be a sort of um, more um, kind of up-to-date security measures and things for, for folks in, in the stadiums themselves where security guards and um, other people who are going to be inside the stadium for those reasons are um, a lot more aware of what homophobic abuse looks like and will be able to act upon it rather than just sort of dismissing it. And this also includes, I think, homophobic chanting from uh, like active fans as well. Um, so yeah, so this is, and, and this is all, all part of it, right? Like the, the pride celebration round is on the one hand meant to just be this sort of big fun opportunity to be like, yes, queer people exist in football. Hello, we've been here forever. Um, let's have a sort of a bit of a party and acknowledge that. But at the same time, they also are doing the actual thing that a pride round is built to do, which is to try and reduce the amount of homophobic language and behaviors that are directed towards players that are directed towards fans that are directed in any other direction in football. Um, so yeah, so it's fabulous. Um, a number of people that I spoke to, um, in, in higher education and in the nonprofit sector said that this is the best example that they can see of in Australian sport where uh, a league is actually doing this thing properly. This is exactly how it's meant to be. Uh, compared to examples in in other codes in the past, um, and I'm I'm just like I'm thrilled. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I've bought my ticket. I'm going to go down to Melbourne uh, for the sort of the marquee fixture, which is going to be the Melbourne Victory Adelaide United doubleheader. The men's game is going to be first at three pm. The women's game is going to be at six pm. It's going to be the the big dance. There's going to be a Pride Bay that's going to be opened up at Amy Park where. Uh, over 200 folks from the LGBT community, including support workers, health workers, mental health professionals, have all been invited to come and sit for free. Um, there's going to be, you know, rainbow flags everywhere. There's going to be all this kind of like really cool things happening. I've got my tickets to the Pride Bay. I'm going to be there. Come down and see me. Come down and find me. We'll hang out. We'll get some selfies and we'll post ourselves on, on Twitter with a whole lot, bunch of glitter and rainbow flags and just do a, a whole bunch of queer shit. It's going to be really fun. So, yeah. So, um, off the back of the absolute boot, there was the Canada National Team, National Federation rather, fucking up um, something that's really important in terms of social justice. Big old thumbs up to the APL for doing something good. Do we know what the playlist is going to be? Not no. the point. Not the point. Sorry. <laughs> Why did my brain uh, just scream like ABBA? It? Yes. Because that's correct. It should be ABBA. <laughs> just getting in early in case they're not sure why want abba why specifically want abba um i will say though not like not for anything it doesn't mean anything but it is funny that even when the apl has objectively done something correctly um a lot of the responses on social media were like can't wait to see how you guys fuck this up because uh the uh <laughs> yeah. The goodwill of the APL is still at like negative a thousand after the grand final thing, but sometimes they're gonna get know. Danny Towns in out and he's gonna say slay and it's just gonna <laughs> tank the whole thing. <laughs> oh, 
he's gonna Fantino. he's gonna do it. He's gonna do a Johnny Infantino. Today I feel <laughs> slay. <laughs> Obviously, Sam's gonna be in the best city in Australia. Will be in the best city in Australia. Come on down to the Pride game. Come on down. Good. Um, that's enough from us. I think wrap this shit up um thank you as always for tuning in um like i said we've got copper nations so you'll be hearing from us on the regular ideally after every game to chat through these three very very important very very exciting fixtures so we'll be talking to you a little bit later in the week besties as always you can read all of our stuff on espn.com.au Our other work, Sam's work on ABC, will be on our Twitter account, all of our social medias. We're at the Far Post Pod. You can always listen to us over on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the places where you get podcasts. My outro has completely been thrown out of whack and my brain doesn't remember what else I say here. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, we'll we'll talk to you real soon. See you.